You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hidden Cobra inserts Lazarus malware into security management chains. Malsmoke malvertising doesn't need exploit kits anymore. Ransomware operators shift towards social engineering as the ransomware-as-a-service criminal market flourishes. Draft EU data transfer regulations implement the SHREMS 2 decision. Robert M. Lee from Drago shares a little love for the lesser-known areas of ICS security. Our guest is Greg Smith from Cami with insights on promoting cyber capabilities at the state level. And the next thing for disinformation? No surprises here. It's COVID-19 vaccines. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, November 17th, 2020. Researchers at ESET have found that North Korean threat group Hidden Cobra is deploying its Lazarus toolkit by infiltrating South Korean software supply chains. South Korean Internet users are often required to install additional security software before visiting government or financial sites. The application Wizvera Veraport is commonly used to manage such additional security, and Hidden Cobra appears able to replace software delivered to Wizvera Veraport users from a legitimate but compromised website with Lazarus malware. ESET is highly confident in its attribution of the attacks to Pyongyang. Malwarebytes warns that the Malsmoke malvertising campaign has forsaken exploit kits for social engineering. The Malsmoke gang usually targets high-traffic adult websites, and they've most recently been posting notices that visitors to such a page need to install a Java plugin to view the saucy video they came for. Sure, it's not plausible, but the hoods figure consumers of adult video are unlikely to be skeptical. Whoa, says our hypothetical video user. It says here, download that Java plugin, and that sounds like something you ought to do on a computer, maybe, so hey, what harm could it do? The hoods are right, in some cases, and for some audiences, you really don't need to sweat the plausibility. The smoke operators aren't alone. Security firm Ironscales sees a general shift towards social engineering in ransomware attacks. Ironscales says, quote, from an attacker's perspective, the transition from spear-phishing emails packed with malicious payloads to social engineering was a no-brainer. The overwhelming majority of email phishing attacks are now driven by social engineering messages aimed at prompting an action and distributed via advanced phishing techniques such as business email compromise, VIP or CEO impersonation, and other forms of email spoofing and fraud. End quote. Ransomware operations are also well-supported by a strong market for criminal-to-criminal services. Dark web intelligence shop Intel 471 counts at least 25 ransomware-as-a-service outfits currently doing business. They divide them into three tiers based on size, reach, and reputation. The Tier 1 ransomware-as-a-service players are big, offer proven code, and continue to operate in the face of widespread public awareness and exposure in the media— 
They also have to have been around for a while, for months, which counts as enduring in the rapidly evolving world of the criminal marketplace. The outfits in Tier 1 include R-Evil, Networker, Doppelpamer, Egregor, also known as Maze, and Ryuk. All of these, with the partial exception of Ryuk, also maintain leak sites they use to pressure their victims with the prospect of doxing. Tier 2 is for the up-and-comers. They've achieved a certain cachet in the underworld. They offer advanced ransomware strains, but they don't have the volume in terms of either attacks or affiliates that the big Tier 1 players boast. Tier 2 includes Avedon, Conti, Klopp, Darkseid, Mespinoza, Ragnar Locker, Ranzi, Suncrypt, and Thanos. Tier 3 is for the wannabes, or at least the newbies. Some of them may be making it in a small way, but it's often hard to tell whether any one of them is still in business or not. Tier 3 goons have been known to proffer Sivark U45, Exorcist, Gothmog, Lolkek, much Love, Nemti, Rush, Wally, Zinoff, Ziadikus, and lately Zagreus. The leading brand in all of this, Intel 471 says, is Ryuk, which by their estimation has been involved in about a third of the ransomware attacks observed this year. The Wall Street Journal summarizes draft EU privacy rules expected to drastically circumscribe how Europeans' personal data must be handled when that data is moved outside the EU. The draft guidelines are intended to implement the EU's Court of Justice decision issued earlier this year in the Schrems II case that invalidated the former EU-US privacy shield regime. Cooley describes the new process for transferring data as consisting of six steps. First, map any data transfers. Second, select a transfer mechanism. Third, determine whether your selected transfer tool works without supplementary measures. Fourth, Adopt any necessary supplementary measures. Fifth, take any required procedural steps. And sixth, reevaluate at appropriate intervals. That's, of course, a bare outline. There are many details in each step. If you handle European data, call your lawyer. And finally, you know, all that election disinformation stuff we've been hearing about is so yesterday, isn't it? So what's the new thing coming down the pike in terms of lies and grifting? Well, the Washington Post goes out on a limb and predicts that the next big disinformation fight will be over COVID-19 vaccines. We'll crawl out there with them as well and say they're probably right. In fact, it's already begun. After all, Moscow's been busily predicting that anyone who takes the AstraZeneca vaccine under development in the UK is likely to turn into a monkey. We think better of AstraZeneca and their partners at Oxford than that, but maybe the Kremlin-like knows stuff. As with any risk, if you're concerned about the whole simian transmogrification thing, there are three things you can do with the risk. You can mitigate it, transfer it, or accept it. Forewarned is forearmed. AstraZeneca is probably mitigating this risk as well as anyone can. We haven't seen any insurance companies offering to indemnify ape transformation, although in fairness, there's not a whole lot of actuarial data on the process. Or you could accept the risk... That's where we are. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. 
Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. There are organizations at all levels who lend a helping hand to businesses in their area at the local, state, and national level. Locally, that could be the Chamber of Commerce or the County Office of Economic Development. When it comes to cyber, many states in the U.S. have organized efforts to promote this rapidly growing vertical with its high-paying jobs and potential for growth and prestige. Greg Smith is chairman of the board for CAMI, the Cybersecurity Association of Maryland, and he shares insights on the value proposition these types of organizations bring to the table. CAMI is the Cybersecurity Association of Maryland. We have over 580 cybersecurity companies located uh, throughout the entire state of Maryland. We have companies in every county. And really what we're focused on at CAMI is creating connections, creating connections for our companies, creating connections for employees that might want to work for our companies, creating connections with service providers that provide services to our companies at a discounted rate, and also providing connections for our universities to uh, provide students to our companies. Why is it important for an area like Maryland, a region like Maryland? I mean, we we have a very robust cybersecurity sector, uh, partially based on our geography, being close to D.C., having organizations like NSA here. Um, Why is it important for us to have an organization like CAMI to help kind of make those connections and and provide uh, the resources that they do? Well, I think that's a great question. Um, And as an organization, when we started, really what we were trying to do is is come back to that one word that I said earlier, connections. You know, a lot of our cyber companies are very focused on building product or providing services, but they didn't have a lot of interaction 
with uh, other companies in our area. They didn't have interactions or, or the capabilities or the intros to the universities, uh, whether that's from a uh, employee standpoint or from a technology standpoint. Uh, one of the other things that Cami has done pretty effectively is brought vendors to the table uh, where we've leveraged our membership and gotten discounts on things like health insurance. So again, it's all focused on connections and trying to help grow our members and enhance the ecosystem. Do you ever get inquiries from other parts of the nation or other other parts of the world who say, hey, we see what you all are doing there and we're thinking about you know, spinning up a similar organization in our region? I mean, is there that sort of broad interest for these sorts of endeavors? Interestingly enough, yes, there is. Uh, we've had numerous discussions uh, with various states. Uh, and really, if you look at the United States ecosystem, there's a lot of other uh, cyber Tennessee or cyber Georgia, and those have all been modeled after cyber Maryland. So uh, I think what you're starting to see is a definite broadening reach of what we started here at Cyber Maryland, and it's growing you know, aggressively around the United States, and now we're just starting to touch other parts of the world. That's Greg Smith. He's chairman of the board for CAMI, the Cybersecurity Association of Maryland. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Robert M. Lee. He is the CEO at Dragos. Rob, it's always great to have you back. Um, I, I thought it might be fun to, to do a little survey together of some of the areas in ICS security that don't necessarily get the love of the, the high-profile ones. We're always talking about the electrical grid. We're always talking about water and you know things like that. Are, are there areas that, that you all are still out there protecting that don't really get mentioned so much? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, and it's a good question. And you're right. Electric you know, systems... First and foremost, then oil and gas are the ones that states are always freaking out about, um, mm. rightfully so to some degree. Um, but uh, you know, I, I find it really enjoyable to go into like a, a water facility um, and look at the water utilities or, or look at wastewater treatment facilities. Although uh, it's not always the, the greatest smell, it's it's a wonderful uh, industrial <laughs> control environment, um, and the folks working there are just as uh, as hardcore and passionate as anybody you'll find in the industry usually just don't have as many resources to address the problem. And there's kind of an issue there where they don't have the resources to then look so they don't see the problems or attribute them to cyber so they don't get the resources to go address it. So it's kind of a hmm. self-fulfilling or, or, I guess, a violent circle, if you will. Um, but so the, the water one comes to mind because a lot of people in the United States depend on their water utilities and they don't get the, the love and attention. You get in some really cool environments too. Like we've got 
a number of customers in the, in the mining industry as well. And getting mm-hmm. into mine is a fantastic um, exploration of different industrial control systems. Everything from controllers operating a cyanide bath to strip gold from um, from minerals. That everything from um, the HVAC systems, which are now life critical safety systems, you know, for those uh, working conditions, to self driving caterpillar trucks, you know, with Mindstar applications on them and similar. It's just wonderfully cool with absolutely like zero uh, interest from your state level leaders and stuff. They just generally don't even think about mining. Um, rail is another beautiful one. We start looking at not only the the intricate control systems inside the control center itself. Um, you're looking at the actual onboard train communication networks and all the control systems that go into there. I mean, it's it's, it's really, really cool. And personally, here I live in Maryland. I'm a huge fan of taking the Amtrak. And every time I get on board, it's like, oh, yeah, it's, I know I know what control systems are on here. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> right, it's, right. it's such a cool system. And they have a bunch of risks and cyber threats as well. But But they just, again, don't get the attention, don't get the resources as everyone else. And then I would say probably the last one, that comes up as kind of interesting. It's just, and, and it's more emerging, um, but it's really airports. When you start thinking of all the mm. control systems that relate to everything from baggage claims to the maintenance lines the, the, for the airlines themselves, um, to even some of the um, non IoT parts, the, the actual OT parts related to like the vehicles and flight lines, um, it gets really, really cool. And I would say the, I said the last one, but actually building off of that, the one that's going to become a bigger topic because of Space Command, obviously, is the space side of it. And most people don't realize how many Siemens, uh, you know, controllers and similar are up in satellites and, uh, you know, ground control stations and similar. Uh, so I think we'll see a, a lot of focus on that in the years to come, um, largely because the government's willing to invest the resources there, which will spawn an industry around it. And we'll start seeing more of the threats that have been resident. Um, so anyways, those are, those are kind of the different industries, I would say, that get the least amount of love, but have some of the coolest systems um, and, and just really interesting challenges ahead of them, as well as unique insights to go and share with larger community. Now, is is there any correlation between those ones that are sort of you know running quietly under the radar that they're not getting the attention, the same level of attention from adversaries? I don't think that's correct. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I, you know, what is it a fair hypothesis to state that electric systems are more targeted than others, but potentially? Um, and that's probably accurate, just anecdotally. Um, but uh, I, I think a lot about the visibility problem we have in the community, and we take a mm. really large focus of vict- victim-centric targeting and victim-centric analysis, which is good. But it also leads to an overfocus on specific industries. And you know, when we first started getting into mining, as an example, as a company. We, we were like, okay, let's have some intelligence requirements as it relates to mining threats. Maybe within the next year, we'll find some. And I want to say like three weeks into searching, we found our first threat group targeting mining industry. We're like, oh, well, hmm. interesting. And so I, mm-hmm. I do think it. I do think the number of OT-specific cyber threats um, are much larger than anybody would imagine. And I think our viewpoint right now is especially energy and especially Western-focused. Um, as you start finding more entities that are doing monitoring and visibility and hunting and similar inside of you know, African state sites, um, Latin American sites, uh, mining and, and you know, uh, rail and similar sites, you're going to start learning about more of these threats and find out that many of them have been there for you know, a decade plus, not, not just relatively new. Yeah. All right. Well, Rob Lee, thanks for joining us.
And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. The ultimate driving machine. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Farouk Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.